You're listening to the One Day Advice Podcast, where your hosts, Nick Riley and Paul Henderson, are going to take you for a ride inside the world of personal finance. Together, we're going to give you a fully transparent, behind-the-scenes look into the financial services industry, helping you to optimize your financial life along the way. So with us today is the host of Saving Circle, a podcast focused on money and the millennial professional. He's an accredited financial counselor who worked in the tech sector before leaving to found the Mountain View, California-based Savings Academy. So Vineet Prasad joins us today to share some insights about how he helps tech professionals take control of their finances and what exactly a financial coach does. So Vineet, before I go much further, can you tell us a bit more about what Savings Academy is, maybe how it came about, um, who you typically work with, that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks. And thanks for that intro, Paul. And thanks for having me on the, the show. I'm really excited to be here. Happy to have you. And uh, yeah, so as far as Savings Academy, how it came to be, um, I, as you mentioned, uh, have a tech background. I worked in um, most recently before launching Savings Academy full-time for Facebook, uh, doing data analytics, product management, that kind of thing. And But my my real passion for a long time has been personal finance. Uh, it's a very strange passion, but I know it's one that you both share. So maybe you, you don't think I'm as weird as most people. <laughs> Not too weird. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I was very fortunate that um, my mom, you know, kind of brought me up to taught me really well on how to manage money. Um, I came to realize as I got to know uh, a lot of my coworkers in tech, that even among those earning a high income, there are some that are you know, super savers that are saving a lot, some that are, uh, you know, saving enough and some folks that are really struggling with, with, um, you know, spending and savings, even having fairly high incomes, but living in the cost, you know, high cost of living cities and are, are, are really stressed about finances. So actually organically started for free for fun, kind of helping people make a budget, um, you know, figure out their spending and saving and, and stick to goals, um, build up emergency funds. And that was really, really fun. Uh, I was doing it nights and weekends, just originally for free. And then uh, when I was doing things for free, people didn't take it as, as seriously. So I eventually started charging for it and saw really awesome results in terms of before and after how much people were spending in savings. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is really fun. Uh, way more, I'm, you know, find this way more rewarding than my, my day job. So I turned it into a business savings academy, did it as a side hustle for a year and a half while I was working at Facebook. Um, and then eventually got enough traction that I decided to to take it full time. That's that's great. So, do you typically work with uh, tech professionals? Is that kind of your focus? Have you expanded beyond that, or are you focused on that group? Yeah, great question. Um, I'd say a lot of my clients are tech professionals, like folks that work for Facebook or Google, Lyft, Microsoft, those kind of companies. But I have also worked with folks who are teachers, folks who um, you know, have a lower incomes and typical tech professional. Um, I think just because of my background and my network, like I've ended up working with a lot of tech folks. Um, I know their, their situation, but mm-hmm. um, and generally young professionals is sort of the like twenties and thirties is like who, who I've mostly worked with. Okay. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about this in the past um, and I know Nick and I both really kind of focus on the whys for, for mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, our own business, um, also for, for our clients and what they're doing and, and their goals. And, you know, I think that's something that you also look at. Um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how you help your clients reframe their goals and, you know, how those conversations have looked in the past. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a really big believer in the, the whys, um, like starting with those. I think without those, you know, you don't have the motivation to keep going with what you need to do. Um, what I found is, and this is probably true, you know, just as much, you know, in what you do with the financial planning is what I do in financial coaching is one of the underlying things that people really struggle with is just like a, a deep seated anxiety or stress around not feeling like they're in control of their money um, and not mm-hmm. kind of knowing where their money goes every month. Um, and so that is often, um, as I, as I dive into it, like the first time I meet with a client into the wise, that's often one of the, the real motivators is to feel in control. Um, and so before we even like look at, you know, money, we kind of explore that and understand how they're feeling um, around money, which is not something people talk about. People don't talk about money in general, of course, very right. often, but people really don't talk about how they feel about money, but yet it is such a huge uh, emotional uh, pain for a lot of people. I've, I've heard, um, you know, clients tell me they, they actually wake up, you know, stressed thinking about money. I've had clients tell me they feel physically ill about kind of where they are financially, but they don't talk about it with anyone. And so as you just understanding where people are and, and then understanding the control, uh, like directing money and kind of understanding where, where things are, are going is often a good antidote um, for that. Do you feel like you started um, with, with that approach or has that developed over, like when you first start talking with friends on the weekend, are you talking about the whys or have you slowly developed that kind of realization? And I'll, I'll piggyback on that and say, it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, you're working with people in the tech world who probably have significant incomes, mm-hmm. you don't tend to think about those groups as being stressed about money. You're 100% correct about that. And to be honest, at the, at the beginning, I thought this was, you know, more of a math problem, more of a, you know, okay, how do we create, knowing that it's also motivational, like how do we create a, a budget that, you know, uh, or spending plan, as I often like to call it, that people will stick with, um, figuring out tactics around how to reduce spending, which is really important. And I'm a big believer in kind of behavioral change methods and figuring out what will and won't work. But um, I think I didn't realize the intensity of those kind of emotions and how motivating it can be to focus on just, you know, gaining, uh, gaining control for folks. I think like what you said is, is, is completely accurate that most folks wouldn't think that people with high incomes are stressed about, you know, going into credit card debt or overspending and things like that. But, and, and it, it is less prevalent among higher income folks. I'd say that the higher percentage of folks are, are saving regularly than, than with lower income uh, jobs. But I've now worked with a lot of folks who have, you know, north of um, hundred thousand, sometimes north of $200,000 incomes who are in credit card debt, you know, serious credit card debt. And that is, mm-hmm. you know, always a good symptom or as a symptom that, you know, you're struggling from a, a cash flow perspective. Yeah. And I think, you know, Nick, wouldn't you agree that's something that, that we see a fair amount? I know I was a little I'm not, I wouldn't say surprised, but it's been interesting to me to kind of have some of those conversations with, with younger clients. Yes, definitely. And, and Vinny, you mentioned just the feeling of feeling physically ill from uh, you know, a lot of these, these money problems too. Uh, I think oftentimes people are more comfortable talking to their doctor about health or even their, their friends about health than they are about their own money. So it's, it's oftentimes something that's, that's swept under the rug or underneath the bed and just uh, you know, left unsaid uh, for a lot of new couples. Uh, but also in tech too, to your point, Vineet, 
uh, it's it's an industry too that that has a pretty varying uh, income base too. So whether you're just starting off or you've got a lot of experience, uh, I think a lot of the tech community is so close. So when they are that close, they see their friends in tech, you know, spending money on a new Tesla and other things. So, so it, it almost brings up that overall level of spending to fit the persona that a tech worker has, uh, which I can only imagine uh, brings further complexity into their financial lives. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you there, Nick. And I've definitely seen, you know, you're, you're right, the Teslas or the like San Francisco brunches or, you know, whatever it is that that kind of keeping up with the, the Joneses is not just limited to the suburb. It's very much prevalent in the tech world too. Yeah, millennial brunch is like a whole nother meal. And it <laughs> almost adds another 30% to your, your restaurant expenses uh, over yep. the course of the year. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'm laughing a little bit. I've had a conversation with, a couple of Microsoft employees who have said, well, you start and then you have to buy the BMW. And, you know, that's maybe an Audi if, because, you know, we're close to the mountains, you want to go up to the, to the snow. 15 years later, you buy the Porsche. If you're maybe a little extra successful, there's the Maserati to show that you're different and unique, but there, there's the defined. And if it kind of holds, if you drive through the parking lot, it's, it's, a little bit funny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so interesting that you say that, Paul, because I, I was having a conversation with a client, you know, recently around, you know, they were thinking about getting a car and, and, you know, Porsche and Tesla were the two kind of first names that they threw out there. And, you know, I think that it's valid. And, but, you know, kind of, we, 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 we talked through the whys went a little bit deeper, like the second, second order level. And then we started talking about, you know, the possibility of something like a Honda or a Toyota and kind of what the equivalent would be. And, what the differential there is and what, you know, and we kind of realized what was, you know, driving that decision. And in that person's case, it's not true for everybody, not true for every financial you know, situation. Honda and, and Toyota was going to be, or Toyota was going to be like perfectly fine for them and, and work really well. And, you know, probably not affect their happiness level too much differently. So. Right. Yeah. The, the why there is super important because for some people, you know, they are car people and that really mm-hmm. will bring them happiness. And that's, that's the right choice for them. But yeah, it's just that, definitely helpful to have that initial just kind of like tap the brakes and say is this something that you really want or is it something that's being influenced by your surroundings and those are those are always helpful conversations i have found so mm-hmm. we talked a bit about the why what what comes next in a financial coaching situation yeah absolutely and i, and I realized i didn't touch on the like what's what is financial coaching kind of what, we should how, do that too yeah yeah but then i can talk about what what's involved so um, you know, what you do, you know, financial planning, the metaphor I like to use is what you do, I see is almost like the primary care physician, like you kind of touch every aspect of someone's financial life. And you're, you're maybe not like the, the expert in tax, for example, that might be a CPA or the expert in estate planning, that might be an attorney, but you kind of touch every aspect of life um, and are kind of helping guide strategy and, and understanding um, I see, you know, a financial coach is more like a personal trainer, like the, the financial planner will often kind of help people figure out um, around cash flow specifically, which, you know, is kind of the engine that drives uh, finance, uh, especially for young folks will kind of a lot of time give direction around cash flow, but oftentimes aren't like week in week out kind of helping people, you know, keep up with their um, their spending and savings goals, just like a doctor, a primary care physician isn't often week in, week out, you know, helping make sure people exercise and eat, you know, eat well. Um, but that is sort of more the role of the financial coach where they're really helping you stay on track, stay motiv- staying motivated, being an accountability partner, 
helping you create and iterate those realistic plans around spending and savings. And it sounds really fundamental. I mean, just like a personal trainer, you know, it's like, well, why would you need that? And for some folks, they, they don't, they're, they're already saving a lot. They're saving well, fantastic. I think that's great. And some folks have tried, you know, I've worked with folks who have tried, you know, 12 different budgeting apps or tools or, and just end up falling off the bandwagon. And mm-hmm. kind of when we work together, that accountability partnership and helping them stay on track, help them save, you know, thousands of dollars over a period that they, they, they weren't saving before. So, and, and, and so, oh, sorry, I, I, I can take it one step forward to the process, but was there anything you wanted to, to jump in there with Paul? No, I, mean, I think, I think that makes sense to me. You know, we definitely, I guess would say, you know, as, as generalists, we, we care about cash flow, like you're saying, we care about savings, but we tend to be stick more at the level of if you're saving a certain amount, we're, <clears throat> we're okay. You know, th- basically that's good enough for, for our conversations. Um, you know, it's helpful to know where money is going just so you can kind of plan out, you know, what a retirement expense is going to look like or which expenses are going to go away over time. But yeah, we, we don't necessarily dive deep into the, the weeds and, you know, that, that conversation will change slightly based on, on the different clients. But I think that's a fair generalization. Nick, do you have any, any thoughts or? No, I totally agree. I think there are so many aspects to financial planning and, and that's one of the reasons for having this podcast too. We're going to be addressing a lot of different topics. Uh, and you know, quite frankly, I think dealing with the millennial, uh, especially tech professional generation, it, it can be more complex than, than dealing with uh, a pre-retiree or someone who's already retired. There's a lot of, of future, I guess, savings goals that come into play that you're having to work backwards towards and, and, uh, and really you know, bring part of that full financial plan. So uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with where, where you're going with that, Vinit. Perfect. No, I, absolutely. And and so to take on the second part of your question quickly, just like what's the first step and kind of what's the process? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I start with, like we talked about kind of the, the why is the underlying kind of what's really important to you. But then we also then like end up translating that into a prioritized goals kind of list, quiet prioritized and quantified goals. I find that oftentimes, like like Nick just alluded to, with the young professionals, they have a lot of goals and you know, even around cash flow, like paying down debt, um, building up certain savings, emergency funds, um, but they kind of have everything in their mind that they want to do, not necessarily, all right, first do this, then do this, then do this, and kind of in a more orderly way. And just kind of creating that organization and structure around goals and and planning, I think is really helpful and prioritization. From there, um, you know, I I look at a balance sheet with folks, um, help them, you know, untangle and understand uh, where they are in terms of assets and debt. Um, and then we really dive into, uh, cash flow by looking at, uh, the last couple months of spending. Um, that's often where there is a, a big Delta between what people think that they're spending and kind of what they actually are spending. Um, and the very first session I do with people, like before we even look at their spending, we, we often start with estimates. Um, and then we look at their spending and there's often in, in a couple areas, dining outs, one of them, there's often like a three or four X you know, they thought they're spending 400 a month, they're actually spending like 1200 a month, you know, or something like that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so we look at the actuals, um, we create a realistic um, and, and, you know, specific plan around 
where do you want to be in terms of where do you want your money to be going and how will you, you achieve that? I, that's one of my follow-up questions actually was, you know, what are those money pits that are, are out there that you're, that you see, or, you know, what type of, you know, are there interesting revelations that come out of those conversations? I think the dining, dining out one is, that's been eye-opening for a lot of people, particularly right now when most of us, like most of us have seen our grocery budgets go up and our, our dining budget drop. Um, so that's, yeah, but like a three or four times multiple is, is shocking. Anything else that stands out or anything that's interesting from those conversations? Yeah, I think that one of the other things, uh, and this this is true for you know most people, um, there are those sort of what I call planned expenses, although usually they're they're unplanned. These the irregular expenses, the vacations, the income taxes, the tech professionals, you know, sometimes owe um, these lump sums that you know if you're saving well already and you're you have a good cash flow, you can just absorb. You know, typically, mm-hmm. um, but if you don't have much savings, they often go on a credit card, and so that's how the credit card kind of you know accumulates. Um, so with those, um, what I typically recommend is we we estimate those on an annualized basis, and then figure out each month what what uh, folks should be putting into what I call a revolving savings account. Um, I actually do like to have two different um, savings accounts for folks I work with, especially if they're struggling with cash flow. One is the emergency fund. And that one is really a one-way street. Like money goes in, it doesn't come out unless you lose your job, you know, for, for, for the most part. And you need to supplement income for a while. And then the revolving savings account is like, you know, to simplify it, if you know you're going to owe, um, let's say, around last year, you had around 6000 in taxes. You think that'll happen again. And you know you want to um, take, let's say, throughout the year, $9,000 uh, where the vacations, um, then you put 750 a month in at the revolving for vacations and you put 500 a month in, uh, in addition to the revolving savings account for, um, your taxes. And then you pull it out when needed. It's like the reverse credit card, right? I like the distinction that if those two are the same for someone who's struggling with cash flow, it's easy for just the emergency fund to go down to zero as well. So. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. I like that way of thinking about it because we, you know, that's often a conversation we have is you, know, you should have an emergency fund and, you know, exactly where that, like what dollar value we should set that at, you know, it's going to range for the person, but there are moments where you tap into that for something. Um, and that, that kind of sounds funny when you're talking about your emergency fund, you're like, well, this isn't an emergency. This is just, you know, I'm, maybe I want to participate in my ESPP and this is a way to make the cash flow work. Um, so that, that's, that's a cool idea to say, you know, let's, let's really have the emergency set to the side and then another account that we can be a little bit more kind of tactical with in a way. Exactly. I like that approach too, of just that, that revolving and then the emergency fund. Do you ever go a bit more granular? I've, I've heard some, some professionals do like, you know, further buckets for, you know, travel fund or future, future car fund. Do you go that, that granular with some clients or do you find that that, that added complexity uh, leads to more uh, maybe procrastination or, or uh, is just more ineffective over time? That's a great question. Um, I do um, keep it at one uh, account for like the planned expenses, but um, what one account that I personally use in, in my own life and a lot of my clients use is Ally um, Savings. And what they let you do is they let you kind of bucket. So for those clients that want to have some organization and I'll often, you know, 
when we we meet kind of help folks bucket within their ally account what what the money is is for knowing that it's it's fluid and like okay if you if you end up you know um if you, if you put some money in there for taxes and then that ends up being more than you thought maybe your vacation is less you know instead of having seven bank accounts or, or however many you need I, I i like that that function that ally has with the essentially they have different buckets within one account um but yeah, typically I'll, I'll leave it at those two, um, those two savings accounts. Is there, is there a different approach that you take with couples versus, uh, you know, maybe people who are single who come to you for, for help with their finances? Yeah, a great question. Um, so I'd say a couple different, and I'd say about half my clients are couples, half are, are single. Um, Couple differences. One is for for the that revolving account. Um, one bucket that I often create is like a his and hers, um, like big discretionary purchase account, um, as well as like a corresponding budget in in under planned expenses. Um, because uh, couples often like end up quarreling like several times throughout the month or even week about like should we buy this? Should we not buy this? One person wants it. One person doesn't. Um, so I like the idea of each and, and, um, Stephanie, my wife and I also have this in our own budget where we each have this like basically discretionary bucket, um, that, you know, we budget for and, and, um, have money, you know, go into, and then when we want to make a big purchase, if we have the money in our account, we don't have to talk to the other person about it. We just do it. Um, and then if it's, if we don't, then it needs to be, you know, a conversation and where do we pull this money from? Um, another thing. I'd say it's just super, what I, from what I've seen, the couples I work with, it's super important for both parties to be invested um, in, in, in the process. If, if the, the, the few clients I've had who haven't, you know, seen as big of an improvement uh, in, in cash flow, it's often that like one person is more invested than the other. It really needs to be a team effort. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the on the the note of uh, you know having a his her account uh, or whatever you want to call it, uh, it if you don't have that, I feel like couples in general will keep a mental ledger anyways. <laughs> so they'll be like, "Well, you bought the brand new you know, pair of shoes. Why can't I have this this new purse or whatever it might be?" So if it's already going to be mentally, you know accounted for you know, why not have a separate his hers it's designated it's it's on paper uh but yeah i think it's it's a it's definitely more art than science i feel like in that sense mm-hmm. uh, it's like all things money it's you know partly numbers and partly the the psychology like well, a lot of our job is counseling and you know i think we've we've discovered the same thing you if, if there's a couple or a partnership that you're working with you need buy-in from both both sides you know it's you can't really make a plan if only one person's engaged and you know you're only getting a part of the picture so yeah we always appreciate having you know everyone who is a party to the plan being in the room and you know having their their voice heard and sometimes sometimes that makes us a mediator which you know that's just part of the job and other times you know you start with one and then the other person comes in and you realize oh this is really you know we don't have that. We didn't have the full picture. So it's okay. super important that everybody's there. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of commonality between uh, your practice and ours, Vineet, in the sense that, that we are, you're trying to probe and ask the right questions 
that they should be thinking about as a couple. Uh, most of, I'm sure most of the, the clients that you work with probably don't spend a Friday, Friday night together talking about their personal finances. They don't have money dates. Uh, and especially during quarantine or, you know, COVID and everything, like you have a lot of time spent uh, with that significant other or your spouse and, and, you know, how much of that time is actually spent uh, coordinating uh, money for the next month or you you laying out goals for the next year financially. So that's one of the benefits of a financial coach, a financial planner is, is asking those questions that should be asked uh, to get that conversation rolling, uh, just to get more clarity in their relationships. Absolutely. I think that's super important. I, I've even seen, like I, I joke sometimes with, with friend, clients who are couples who have kids and are super busy, will joke like, all right, this is, you know, the, the once a month that we'll think about finances is when we're meeting with you and it's on the calendar and that's okay. You know, and sometimes yeah. better with couples to like have those conversations, even if there are some quarrels in the meeting, like it's better to have those conversations now, like when we're planning for it for the next mm-hmm. month and like, when, you know, there's no money left in, in the checking account, you know, so. Exactly. Yeah, and we've had, we've had clients come back to us uh, for that meeting and they're like, you know what, Nick, like we actually had money conversations since we last <laughs> talked, like we, that had never happened before. So That's it's, awesome. it's great to see that evolution happen is, is where they, they slowly begin to get on the same page financially and both feel very financially confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of talking about that evolution, you know, I guess I, as your process goes on, you know, you've you've got your your clients to think about the whys of their money. You've got um, you, you've gone into the details. You've got them set up with you know, the different accounts that they need. They they know their budget. What what comes next? Now is your is your goal to to launch them and say, okay, you've got the tools that you need now. Do you have people who come back, you know, for for check ins? If we're gonna go go with the the medical. Um, terminology. Um, what does that look like for, for your people? Yeah, great, great question. And I, I've done, I do both. I usually start everybody with a one-time kind of like a assessment, like process, a strategy session is what I call it. Um, but then if people, you know, I'll usually re- make a recommendation and, and, and people you're usually fairly aligned as to whether like the plan is, is, you know, uh, sufficient and now they have like clarity and, and an idea of where they want their money to be going in a system. I usually set them up with a system as well for how to track their finances going forward. Um, but then for a lot of folks, um, that like having that accountability partnership is really important in terms of staying on track for, for a goal. Um, and so I do uh, ongoing coaching as well, where uh, I meet with clients monthly and we actually check in weekly uh, via email and they, you know, we share, I use a tool called Tiller Money uh, with most of my clients, uh, which is in Google Sheets. Um, so they can share that with me and then uh, they share their Tiller with me. And we check in on a weekly basis just to see like how the, like how last week was. Um, and, and again, you know, this cadence I think is, is good for folks that have challenges around cash flow or struggling around cash flow. Someone's saving 30, 40% of their income or, you know, a good amount, a large amount they probably don't need to be checking in on their cash flow weekly, but I, I really like, you know, and it takes five, 10 minutes a week, but people bucket their transactions. I check in with them just around how things are going, usually provide them positive excitement and uh, you know, uh, positive encouragement. And, and then we meet monthly around kind of other areas. 
Yeah, you know, on that that positive and excitement and, and that kind of emotional side, um, I wanted to bring up one, you know, it's tangentially related topic. You know, I, I noticed on your blog, you had two posts. One was about uh, a trip you took to Napa, and then another was the importance of cooking as a guy. And, you know, I think when we talk about budget, it's it's so often, you know, it sounds like diet. It sounds like a negative, like you're cutting down on something like it's, you know, no fun, all, all mm-hmm. bad. So, you know, I'd be curious just to kind of hear your thoughts on, you know, why are those, why were those two blogs important to, to, to share on your, on the savings Academy? You know, I, I fully agree that they were, but I'd like to hear kind of your thought process on how you approach that type of thing. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I think for me, it's because the reason I share those things, when I work with people to help figure out how they'll reduce expenses so that they can get on track for their goals, I try to take the angle of creativity. Like how do we get creative? Like how can you find a way to maintain or increase the amount of happiness and joy you get from life and the things you most you know, enjoy doing while spending less? Um, not just as straight up, let's cut this you know, in half. And um, you, I think you, you have to be really creative about it. And so I like to share ways um, that my life has been enriched and bettered while I've been able to do things frugally, like, you know, the, the Napa trip I shared came in at like $150 per person. And we didn't, you know, do it because we were, you know, necessarily just, you know, uh, we, we did it because we enjoyed it. We wanted yeah. to, to be frugal and we had an absolute blast and I can't imagine it being more fun. Same thing with cooking. Like for me, that was something I got into for, you know, I just wanted to be reduced my dining out spend, but I've tried to make it into a hobby as well, like something I enjoy and figured out ways to make it fun and social sometimes and, and uh, creative. So there are ways that your life can be enriched while you're also um, getting on track for your spending goals and decreasing spending. Yeah, I think there's a couple different ways to look at it where you can look at if you're cutting back on one one specific part of your your budget, it could, it could look like a restrictive thing. So you're, you're giving up something, but if that, uh, by giving up something that might not be as important to you and your overall happiness, uh, freeing up the capacity to maybe spend on, on things that you really enjoy, it might be traveling or a trip up to Napa or whatever that might be, uh, you know, overall brings up your, your overall happiness. Uh, so when, when looked at it from a positive light, I think that's where you know budgeting needs a kind of a a new focus on you know kind of empowering the individual to to spend in areas that they they really find fulfillment in. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely agree and I love that that's a, a part of your approach. I think it's it's super important and you know the more you can encourage people to to try new things and to have new experiences and and realize that that doesn't mean you have to have the most money to, to do it. Like you can, you can do it on a budget. You can have fun with that. I, I'm impressed with the 150 in, in Napa because I feel like that depending on the winery, it might get you a, a fraction of a bottle. <laughs> um, so that's, that's cool to hear. And, you know, hopefully inspire some people to, to try something similar. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I love to cook. I love to eat and, and wine. So like to me, anytime you can get people out and, and doing stuff like that, it, it's, it's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we're running a little bit short on time. So maybe we'll close out with just two quick things. One, how can our listeners get in touch with you? 
what's the best way to reach out? And then second, you know, if you had to sum up, there's one, one piece of advice to our listeners, and we're going to say millennials working in tech, what would that be? If you had to s- <laughs> only pick one. Perfect. No, happy to. I, I like, I like restricting the other ones. First of all, if people want to um, reach out with me, reach out to me, uh, they can check out my website, savingsacademy.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram uh, or LinkedIn uh, through Savings Academy. Um, I love talking to people about finances. So even if you're just, you know, want to get a perspective on something or, you know, I'm happy to, to have a conversation. Um, I, I really like getting to know people and understanding their, their financial goals. Um, so feel free to reach out via um, those, those methods. Um, as far as one tip, I would say is if you are, have, you know, have ever been you know, stressed about where money is going or, or, or anything like that uh, or, or, or saving enough, I would say track your spending, like know, know, know where your, your money is going in, in some capacity um, and turn that into a rhythm, like a cadence that you're regularly doing. Um, because just, just that awareness piece, just the piece of knowing where your money is going is I think half the battle uh, on cash flow. Um, we, so many people accidentally spend so much money. Like I've seen people who have 50, hundred dollars worth of subscriptions. They didn't know about, obviously that sounds cliche, but I've, I've seen it many times now. And when, like I said, with the dining out and people are just shocked at where their money is going, it's not necessarily bringing them a ton of joy. It's just kind of happening accidentally. Um, so just the awareness piece is huge. If you could do one thing, uh, I'd use a tool like a mint if you want an app, or I really like Tiller cause I like spreadsheets um, and just make it a habit, um, a cadence to, to review it. Great. That, that makes sense to me. Well, you know, thanks again, Vineet, for for joining us. It was it was great to hear about you know what you do and how you do it, and kind of what the lessons you've learned from from working with your your client base. You know, it's it's always interesting to hear from, from the specialists. Like you said, you know, we're we're generalists. I think we like to have our a general pulse of of what's going on, but it's always good to see you know what is what are the different specialists really diving into. Thank you so much, Nick and Paul, for having me on. It was, it was great, and I, I love what what you're doing as well. Hi, I'm Nick Riley, the founder of One Day Advice. If you like what you've heard, we'd greatly appreciate your help in spreading the word. After all, we are financial educators, not marketers. Thanks for listening, and remember to leave us a review. Nick Riley is the founder of One Day Advice, an independent registered investment advisor. Paul Henderson is the director of financial planning at One Day Advice. Both Nick and Paul serve as wealth advisors to their clients. All opinions expressed by Nick, Paul, and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of One Day Advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment or financial decisions.